trigger warning. This podcast is about grief. Whether you are newly bereaved or whether you have been stuck in grief for years, I do hope this podcast brings you some comfort. Grief is such a universal experience, but we all do it differently. This podcast is not about fixing you or forcing the healing process because there is no cure for grief. It can only be absorbed, experienced, loved and cared for. So whether you are doing it privately behind closed doors or like me, you are kicking and screaming your way through, let's support each other. This is a safe space where we can come together and share experiences. My hope is that this podcast shines a light on your path and gives you the strength to navigate your way through the grieving process. My name is Louise Bates and I'm so pleased we connected. I'm looking forward to interviewing people who have also walked this path to find out what worked for them in the hope that it helps you too. I'm sending you so much love and support and I look forward to sharing this crazy journey with you. Hello and welcome to A Gift for Grief podcast. And today I am delighted to be speaking to someone very close to me. This person is like my own personal guru and also my social media and website expert. Although she does try to avoid helping me with my social media and website. (laughs) So my guest today is my daughter Piper. And no, I haven't run out of guests to interview. I really do believe Piper has a lot to offer the listeners regarding her experience of losing her younger brother, Matthew. So welcome to the podcast, Piper. Thank you. Hello. (laughs) Hello. (laughs) Thank you for having me. (laughs) You're very welcome. (laughs) Now, for people who have read my books, they may be confused because in my books, you're called Sarah. (laughs) So perhaps we could start with why you decided to change your name. I never really decided to change my name it wasn't something that I ever thought I would do it was a good name it was yeah it was a good name (laughs) and then I think it was in the pandemic it was on the first year of the pandemic I just didn't feel like Sarah anymore yeah (laughs) it's really stupid but I was watching um, a short film called Piper which is a really cute little animated movie (laughs) (laughs) and for some reason it was in my head I just sort of clicked like oh that feels like me. And I asked my partner to start calling me that for a little bit just to see if it felt okay. And it just sort of felt like the thing to do. It, Yeah, I feel more comfortable using that name. I made a comic about it straight after changing it. I have to express myself somehow. And I'll I do, do it through drawing, I Why guess. not? Yeah. It was called A Rose by Any Other Name, which is referencing Shakespeare. I don't know if you know anything about Shakespeare, but the, A Rose by Any Other Name would just try to show as... my ignorance here now, aren't you? <laughs> A rose by any other name would smell just as sweet. And it's basically like, I'm the same person through and through. I just have a different label on me now. Oh, I love I like, that. I kind of compared my name to like a new item of clothing. So yeah. whereas Sarah was a really old, loved jumper or T-shirt. Yeah. Um, now I'm wearing a new shirt that fits me a bit better and, and feels more comfortable with me. But I still have... A love and appreciation for the old jumper. You know? yeah, um, yeah. So that's kind of how I feel about it. But like I said, not everybody is going to feel that. Well, it's though. important you've got to feel comfortable with <laughs> yeah, the person exactly. you are. And if that suits you better and you feel better with that, then that's fine. But as a parent, have to admit, 
it's hard because you've been Sarah for over 30 years and suddenly I've got to start calling you Piper and I don't always get it right, You've do been I? pretty good. You've been pretty good but about it. But what I like I about you is you, you laugh it off and you just say, well, as long as you try, that's all that matters. Yeah, I think that's the thing with all these different things is that as long as you're making an effort, that's what I care about. Like if you were deliberately going around and calling me Sarah all the time, then I'd be a little bit like, oh, that... Yeah. It's kind of like, what? Like, clearly, this is my decision and you're not respecting it, but... The fact that you try and like you're not you're not perfect, but like you're making an effort. Yeah. And that's, I'm near perfect, mm. though, aren't I? <laughs> Questionable. <wasn't it? laughs> so, what do you think Matthew would have said about you changing your name? Um, I don't really know. I guess he probably would have just laughed at me because, <laughs> <laughs> like, oh god, what are they doing now? Uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, I think he probably would have had the same same yeah. response to you guys. You know, like just kind of going with it and seeing like you know i think he would have recognized that this is something that's important to me and yeah 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 and if he didn't then i would have just started calling him some other name instead i'm sure you would have found something to row about (laughs) (laughs) but no seriously growing up you and matthew were very close and i remember if i needed to tell you off for anything matthew would say oh mum, don't tell her off she didn't mean it and if i was telling matthew off you would stand up for him and say, oh, mum, don't tell him off. And and people often commented on how close you both were. Um, do you remember it being like that? Yeah, I do. And it's weird because I have a lot of friends who obviously have siblings and they I, I've not met anybody else who have had the same experience that me and Matt did where we just didn't row. We didn't, like, bicker. Um and I'm sure, like, I'm sure we did, like, maybe occasionally, like, maybe make a snide remark at each other once or twice. But I don't really remember that. I just remember we almost had this, like, unspoken bond that nobody else was allowed to, like, yeah. tell us off. Nobody was allowed to get mad at, like, our sibling, you know? Like, yeah. it was always... Um, yeah, we just sort of looked out for each other. <laughs> it was like a, you protected each other, didn't you? Yeah, but I don't really know where that came from. Because like I said, I've met loads of different siblings who have never had that experience. Yeah, yeah. They just, there's always some bickering. And people, whenever they hear, like, oh, you know, you know, growing up, you know, you, you and Matt must have, must have fought all the time. You must have argued all the time. I was like... No, no. no. I wasn't like that with my siblings growing up. We were always trying to get each other into trouble. (laughs) (laughs) So Matthew was very sporty and you were very arty. Mm. And when you both left school, you went in different directions. Um, Your friendship groups were very different and you didn't socialise with each other, but you always had that closeness. Mm. And then Matt went off to university and you moved out and your paths didn't really cross, did they? Is that how you remember it? I... I guess I could have described our relationship as like I knew how Matt was because I'd ask you. Yeah. <laughs> I'd go like, oh, how's Matt doing? And then you'd tell me. And I imagine he was like the same with me. Um, so, yeah, we didn't we didn't really talk directly. <laughs> we just, yeah, we and I think growing up, I think that's, maybe that's one of the reasons thinking about it, that we didn't sort of bicker was that we didn't really have that much in common to bicker about. Like mm. it wasn't like I had some diverse opinions about football that he would have argued with me about or something <laughs> like I, I didn't have an opinion about football and the same with art like he didn't have an opinion about the things like the anime stuff that I was watching and the you know the movies I was watching they were just you know he just didn't have opinions about those things yeah. so 
Um, yeah, but like, we it, he he actually he wrote me a letter um, near the end saying like we were like chalk and cheese, yeah. but we still had that love for each other, um, which I think was always really really nice. Yeah. Just that he sort of acknowledged that as well. Oh, that's really lovely. Uh, I, I've not read that letter. Yeah. It's it's something between you it's and Matt. And it's, um, yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So, Piper, could you share what it was like for you when you found out about Matthew's cancer diagnosis? Yeah, so it's it's weird because I I remember when you told me, I think I didn't really acknowledge how serious it was. Like, I didn't really... And I don't know if that was because there was an element of him trying to protect me or you were trying to protect me from knowing how difficult it was. But I... When I first found out about it, like, I knew people who had had cancer, like, and were fine now. And in my head, I was like, well, that's just what happens with cancer now. Like, people people get cancer and they're fine. Like, you know, people yeah. recover from it. Um, and I just kind of assumed that would happen you know like I just it, it was like well yeah obviously like I, so I it was a big deal because obviously it was like a scary thing that you know mortality was suddenly on the table his mortality was on the table but I was like oh yeah he'll be fine <laughs> yeah um and I think I just kind of went into I have to make sure everybody else is okay everybody else is obviously really stressed about this I feel okay because I'm I fully expected him to to sort of come out the other end and be fine and so I'm just gonna like make sure that everybody else is yeah. is okay and 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 protect everybody else. So yeah, I guess I tried to sort of just like, roll with it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I remember like that night because I because I was living at home at the time. I'd I'd very recently broken up with um, a, a nasty boyfriend <laughs> and come back home. We won't go there. We won't go there. <laughs> um, and come back home. And I think it was like maybe six months after that. Um, and yeah, I, 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 it was, it was, it was, in, it was weird. Like I said, I don't remember much of the after, after the, after knowing. I remember finding out, and then there's a sort of block, block in my memory, of of what happened after that. I just remember thinking, he's going to be fine, yeah. and. I have to make sure that everybody else is fine yeah. while we're going through this. <laughs> so how did your relationship with Matthew change as he became more ill? Um, it changed dramatically because we went from kind of not really talking that much to suddenly we were seeing each other a lot more often. Um, like he was at home more because he was getting iller. Um and we talk, we you know, we talk about more deep stuff, um, and then sort of as his illness progressed and he got really ill, and it was started to become quite clear that he wasn't going to get better. Um, we ended up having some really good conversations that I don't think that we would have had otherwise, which is a weird thing to think about because mm. you know, it's it's not like I'm grateful for his illness or anything like that. But I'm grateful that it gave me the opportunity to have those sorts of conversations with him, because um, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have had those conversations otherwise. No. Um, you know, he he really sort of encouraged me with my comics that I was making. He was like, you know, you should go and do something with those, and, um, you know, he encouraged me to do other stuff that like I went and did, and I'm really proud of myself for that. And it's also kind of bittersweet because it's like I would have liked to 
be like, hey, look what I did. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's hard because I wish we had that um, before he got sick. Yeah. Um, but I'm glad that we did have that in the end, that we did have those nice conversations and we did, like, I get, did get to sort of bond with him more closely. Yeah, yeah. Because, uh, yeah, that was... Yeah, I don't know where I was going with that. I was... But it, it's one of those things, isn't it? If if he had died suddenly in, a, in an accident, mm. you know, there's no easy way to, to lose somebody. No, absolutely. But at least you can take some comfort that you had these conversations. Yeah, absolutely. And he, he wrote you a letter and you have that yeah. um, to remember him by and, mm. and, and that can comfort you. I feel really lucky in some ways that I had that at all because, you know, I... I know so many people who have who have died suddenly, and yeah. they like you know, um, and and it, it was completely out of the blue, and we didn't get to like the people who loved them didn't get to say, you know, all the things they needed to say to them. Yeah. Um, and that's harder. And I mean, I'm not think all all of it's hard. You know, there's no like hardest possible grief award, um, but I think. You know, it's it's definitely we definitely had had a privilege to be able to to be able to say goodbye to him properly. Yeah, yeah. So you wrote a very poignant letter to Matthew's cancer. Yeah, <laughs> which I included in my book letters to Matthew, and I actually shared it on a cancer Facebook group that mm. I'm in, and so many people remarked on it, saying how it helped them, and mm. a lot of these people were cancer patients themselves. Mm. So you had a very interesting perspective about his cancer. Mm. Um, perhaps you'd like to tell the listeners about it. Yeah, was this... Am I allowed to swear? Is it the one with the swear word in it? <laughs> oh, I don't know. You're going to swear. Go on then. <laughs> Is it the one that's called Fuck Cancer? Yes. Yeah. So, yeah, I hear those words a lot around cancer. And there is a part of me that still feels very much like, you know, that sentiment towards cancer. Yeah. Um, and at the same time, like, I, I feel like saying that or, or expressing that hatred towards cancer is, it's weird because the way cancer works is that it's your own body cells mutating and changing and duplicating over and over and over again. And in that sort of world, it thinks it's doing the right thing. It thinks like... It's like a little machine that's like a little robot that's like, I'm producing these cells and this is what I'm supposed to do. This is what I'm programmed to do. And the programming's wrong. Sorry, I'm a programmer. So this is, I'm just, no, it's making sense. Actually, I like the analogy. You know, so the programming's like, oh, I'm going to go along and do these things. I'm going to go do this, be this good little robot. Not really maybe realising that what it's doing is really damaging to like the body that it's living in. Um, and so those cells were... Matthew cells, you know, they're, they're yeah. Matt cells that were growing. Um, and so it felt really weird to me to say that to his cancer because, like, well, that's a part of him. Like, it's it's doing something really horrible and it's killing him, but it doesn't know that. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, I, I think I felt really conflicted towards it because obviously, like, it doesn't have a, a life or anything. It's not sentient, but when... when Matt died, so did the cancer cells that were killing him. And so it's really hard for me to feel any kind of hatred or anger towards 
that because it's just part of who he was. Yeah. It's part of his body. Um, does that make sense? <laughs> it does. And it does. And I like the way that you look at it because a lot of people look at it as an alien. So it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's something that's come from outside and it's attacking them. But it's something that their body has created, that yeah. internal environment, for whatever reason, has created a tumour. Yeah. And um doesn't matter how much hate you send it, you know. <clears throat> I mean, I felt that throughout the process, I was sending it love mm. because I felt like, oh, I was throwing everything at it, as you knew. Yeah. And I thought, well, let's just throw some love in there as well. And sometimes, you know... It might help, who knows? Mm. But hate is such a, a strong... I don't think that there's any any world that hate is going to do any good no. anywhere, anything. And that's true, I think, of every situation. I think that the only thing that could ever do good is love. And that's a really complicated thing to say for lots of different reasons. But I I really... Yeah, I, 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 I figured that if... Because I felt similar to you, like I didn't want to, to hate the cancer while even while he was poorly and 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 getting sicker, I wanted to like, do anything that I could possibly can, and if that meant loving the cancer, yeah, <laughs> you know, I was gonna do it because like maybe that'll help, you know. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I yeah, and and also I think hating it would have made me feel worse, and like I didn't want to. We're all obviously in a very difficult mental health position anyway because yeah. it's a horrible thing to have to go through. And so to then also feel hatred towards something, I think that would have really just killed me off. Yeah. Like it was a, you know, it was too much sadness and too much pain. No, I just think that that letter was beautiful and I remember reading it and it made me cry. Mm. Just talking about it now, I can feel the emotion coming <laughs> up as well. But, you know, I'm I'm so proud that you can write something like that. Thank you. So, I just write a bunch of stuff and hope it helps my brain. And then yeah, if it yeah. makes sense to other people, that's good too. <laughs> yeah, and it certainly did, yes. So um, even when Matthew was in the hospice and we knew his death was imminent, um, nothing could have prepared me for when he took his last breath. Mm. And I remember that day so clearly. I wanted to be there for Matthew and not leave his side but I wanted to be there for you too. And mm. I just remember feeling so conflicted. It was such a tough day. Do you do you remember much about it? Yeah, and it's weird because I didn't used to remember a lot about it. There's, there was like, because it's been, is it eight years now? Seven years, in, yes. It was seven, seven, seven years, years October. Yeah. Um, so I... I think for a good three or four years, I didn't remember the day at all. And like I hadn't, like I'd blocked it from my head. Um, whereas now I can remember elements of it quite clearly. And like I would, I, you know, it's probably the worst, like not even probably, it's, it was the worst day like of my life, you know? Yeah. Um, and it, it was, it was weird on the actual day because, because for so long building up to that day, I would call in, in maybe in the afternoon or the evening and I'd speak to dad and be like, oh, hey, so how's Matt doing? And dad would say like, oh, you know, it's any day now, they say, and, and all this. And I would have, so it would be that, that, and then that night would come and I would always like keep my, I'm getting emotional thinking about this, mm. but I would keep my phone on 
and I wouldn't be able to sleep because I'd be terrified that I was going to miss a phone call in the night and, you know, yeah. wake up and be like, oh, you know, he's, he's passed away in the night. And then I'd wake up the next day and obviously not had a phone call. Um, so I was, I was sort of, every day it was like, well, maybe it'll be today. And I'd had that for like a couple of, it was like a week or maybe two weeks that had, that happened. That had almost weirdly become normal. I wasn't expect so it was like, I wasn't, I was prepared for it, but I was also, it could have been yeah. tomorrow. Like, oh, today, today is going to be his last day, but it could have been the next day. And so you're constantly having to prepare yourself for this is the last day. Yeah. Um, and I think we didn't know that it was going to be that day. But it was it was hard to sort of put yourself into that like this is definitely going to be yeah. the last day. And actually, my partner said something really um, interesting, which I'm like years later, which I think looking back on it, it was true. Was that you know how I was saying before about how I didn't really ex- I I in my head I expected him to get better. Yeah, I think that obviously there's those stages of grief. So there's like denial as well, those stages of grief. Yeah. I think I was in denial up until he died. Um, so I remember there was sort of in my head a way that I expected things to go. Like I, cause you know, I, even when he went into the hospice, I was like, some people go into the hospice for like a visit, you know, they go in and they come out again. And yeah. it's, it's very rare that that happens, but that sometimes that happens where it's just that they're going in for a little bit just to have some palpative care while they're, you know, they're, they're really, really poorly and they could die, but they're going to be fine. Yeah. So I was convinced that was going to happen. Um, and then it didn't. <laughs> and I, yeah, I just, I think immediately just went into shock. Um, and I remember, I was sitting outside when it actually happened, when he actually passed away, because I think they wanted to do some, they wanted to shave him or something. They wanted to clean him, give him, like, have a, a shave. So I, me and my partner were sitting outside. And um, then there was all this sort of commotion happening and people were sort of rushing into his room. And then back, there was a couple of nurses that didn't look like they knew what they were doing. <laughs> they were sort of, not to have any, they were obviously really good, but it was like, there was a moment of like, something's happened. Yeah. What shall I do? That sort of feeling. Um, and I just knew, I just knew this, it's happened. Like he's gone. That It was just like a. Intuitively. I just, like, yeah. Just it was like some, something's happened. Yeah. It's something to do with Matt. I, it's, it's happened. And I remember going to the door of his hospice room and dad coming out and being like, he's gone. And I went in and it had, I think it had just happened. He'd just gone. And you and his partner were really like just in tears. And he was sort of in, in a particular position and he looked very, very much empty, <laughs> I think is the word that I remember thinking. And all I remember thinking was like, I didn't want to see him like this. And that was when it was like shock. <laughs> yeah. You know, immediately like, what the hell has just happened? Yeah. <laughs> like all of the denial had just sort of like punched me in the face because like, oh, you know, you wake up and it's like, crap, like this, is, this isn't this is denial. This isn't, he's not going to get better, he, you know. Yeah. Um, And so I, I sort of went out of the room and went into the little chapel in the hospice and just had a breakdown. Yeah. <laughs> you know, there's no other way to describe it. I just remember crying and crying and my partner was, you know, there and sort of holding me and... Like, what do you say? You know, like, yeah. this is something that 
you knew was coming, <laughs> but at the same time, it's like it's still a shock. Um, and then I remember you coming out to see if I was okay, and you obviously wanted to stay with me and stay with Matt, and you wanted to go back to Matt, and it was like it's my partner's here; they're fine. <laughs> you know, I'll yeah. I'll be okay. But it was just, it, yeah, it was just a roller coaster because you know, um, I was suddenly like snapped into this reality that oh okay everything that everyone's been saying for ages like that Matt's terminally ill and Matt's not going to get better like you know I had to face the fact that oh you know I'd been in denial this whole time yeah, yeah. Um, and it's weird because I think and I haven't really spoken about this before because I feel kind of it's weirdly guilty to talk about um, but I think it was adrenaline because I, re- I remember I had to, we had to walk home from the hospice and we didn't live very far away at the time. We lived around the corner from it. And as I was walking, I sort of... Like, there was a point where I was laughing. Because I was like... I was. I think, I think it was shock. Because yeah. I was like... We were walking and I can't remember what was funny for the life of me. But I just started laughing about something. And I felt so guilty about that for such a long time. Because mm-hmm. I was like, why am I laughing? My brother's just died like yeah. half an hour ago, you know. <laughs> why am I laughing? But it was just shock. And, yeah. you know... Um, so yeah, and again, I feel guilty about this, but like the like you know we were saying before about my phone, and I was always having my phone on me. Yeah, I turned my phone off that night and slept like a baby, and I feel guilty about that as well because again, it's like you know I've just <laughs> lost someone who I really care about. But I think it was a combination of I don't have to have my phone on anymore because yeah. there's no one to, and there's no reason to have me call in the middle of the night. And also the tremendous exhaustion of that day of being in so much like you know adrenaline and and all the emotions that have gone through that day, I just I just slept. I, I got home yeah. and just slept, and I think I I think I slept for most of the next day as well. Like I was just yeah out of it. <laughs> Do you know it's really interesting, isn't it? How um, that experience can hit you because even yeah. though you know it's coming. You can't prepare yourself for it. No. You just, it's impossible. And I remember sleeping really well that night. Yeah. And waking up on the Saturday morning thinking, oh my God, that's the best night's sleep I've had <laughs> yeah. for weeks. How could I, my son only died yesterday afternoon. How could I sleep? Yeah. You know, don't people have to have sleeping tablets to do this? But I think what came with it was some sort of relief. Yeah. Yeah. Which is hard to say. It is really hard to say because you feel guilty. It's yeah. like you shouldn't feel relieved that someone's died. Yeah. But it was and a combination. It wasn't the relief that he died. I know yeah. what you mean. Oh, no, but I know, yeah. Why am I feeling this relief? I shouldn't, surely I shouldn't feel this. Mm. But it's, you just, there's a whole mix in there of emotions. Yeah. And um, it's all normal, isn't it? It's 100% normal. It's absolutely yeah. 100% normal to I feel think, what you're feeling. I think this podcast is a really good like thing as well because we don't talk about this part of grief no the relief that you feel after a long like someone's passed away from a long illness yeah and it shouldn't be shameful to talk about it it's not like we're happy that he died like that's yeah. beyond true beyond like, beyond true is that the way is that how to say opposite of truth <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it sounded wrong yeah. um but it's it's just this feeling of like you don't have to because there's so much anxiety every day you're constantly living in this yeah. sort of like is it going to be now? Like, you know, I would... Not I have my phone glued yeah. to me 24-7. I yeah. could not be... Like, now I just leave my phone in the other room and I'm fine without it. Like, you yeah. know, I could go for hours. 
Um, I know you don't believe me on that. <laughs> I, could, I could go for hours without having my phone on me. Um, whereas before it would be glued to my hip. Whereas now, yeah, I just it's that anxiety of something. Yeah. Like we're going to hear bad news at some point and I have to be prepared for yeah. it. And now it's like we don't have that to worry about yeah. now. Um, so, yeah, it's it's hard to... But it is whatever you're feeling at that moment mm. is normal. Exactly. But I think, you know, I've, I've spoken about anticipatory grief grief before. Mm. We certainly experienced that, didn't we? Because yeah. when you see somebody fading through, um, you know, a terminal diagnosis mm. and they get weaker, you, you're grieving for that person yeah. as they disappear. So the grief doesn't just start mm. when that person dies. It started weeks or even yeah. months before that person died. Um, but even though, you know, nothing can prepare you, can it? It mm. was just so traumatic. It and was, yeah. Upsetting. So, um, you know, grief is not a mental illness, mm. but it can certainly turn into one. Mm. And Matthew's decline and death really affected your mental health, didn't it? Yeah, I think that's normal. <laughs> yeah, I know as parents, obviously, we were really concerned about you and you tried your best to protect us from worrying. Mm. But parents have superpowers and we pick up on these things. So what would you say to anyone who is worried about their mental health after the death of a loved one? Do you mean someone worried about somebody else's mental health after the death so of a loved one? Or? A about their own mental health. Oh, OK, yeah, so... So from your experience? I think if... I mean, I've struggled with mental health for a long time, even before Matt, but obviously that sort of, sort of added on to it, I guess. Like, it, yeah. it became, like, a, a big part of it. I've, I've, you know, I'm quite open about the fact that I struggle with anxiety and so on, but um, I... We have such a stigma in society about mental health and... You know, people feel like they can't talk about it and, and people judge people who are mentally ill. Um, and it's massively unfair. And so I think a lot of people who have mental health issues, regardless of what's caused them, whether it's if it's grief or, or trauma or just, you know, chemical imbalances in a lot of cases, um, you know, there's nothing wrong with you. There's not that's I think that's really important to say. There's nothing wrong with you if you if you're experiencing mental health issues. Um, you know, you you're allowed to be sad. Yeah. <laughs> you're like that's normal sometimes. Like a lot of the time it's normal, you know. We live in a a world that's quite sad a lot of the time. <laughs> there's a lot of sad things that happen. And so you know, we judge people a lot for not being happy go lucky all the time. And not being switched on all the time. Um, but, you know, we're allowed... when Like, it's a normal human emotion to feel sad when someone dies. It's normal to feel angry when someone dies. And I think just giving yourself permission to feel those things yeah. is so important. A lot of people don't let themselves feel them and they just bottle them up. And, you know, they force themselves to just go through the motions and just carry on. And that's just going to exacerbate it and just make it worse. Yeah. And it's going to make it even harder to deal with. Um, so, I, yeah. I agree. Some people find it easier perhaps to push it down, yeah. suppress it. I'm not going to deal with that now. Yeah. And they go through life 
and not experiencing those emotions. Yeah. And things will come along and trigger them. Mm. And, um, you know, there is a theory that if we don't process our emotions, mm. they can turn into an ache, a pain, an illness or a disease. Yeah, for sure. I think that's... So know. it's so important that we feel these emotions, we mm. acknowledge these emotions and give ourselves space to process them. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, yeah, you know, any mental health is all about communicating. 100%, yeah. And and it's so hard to do when you're actually in that feeling, but just expressing it, just saying, this is how I'm feeling, and yeah. it, I don't feel good. It's hard because of the stigma in society, I honestly think. Like, I think that if it, was, if it wasn't so frowned upon for people not to feel like they I don't know like even little things like oh I can't you know make a healthy meal this week because I'm just not feeling it I can't tidy my house because I'm not like I can't feel up to it like people frown upon people for that and you mm. know there's nothing like if you have a messy house for a bit like it's fine no one's like the world isn't gonna end um you know and and but but people like in society we judge people for that um and i think yeah it's just i think do you not think we're getting better at talking about mental health now things are improving yeah in some ways i think i think things are improving in the conversations that we have about it yeah for some mental health issues <laughs> there are so many mental health issues that aren't like fashionable and i'm saying oh, that okay. in quotation marks like depression and anxiety i don't say they're fashionable that's not like i'm not trying to imply that they're cool mental health issues to have but there are like whenever we talk about mental health those are the only two i think that really got a lot of attention okay when there's a lot of mental health problems out there that are really stigmatized um the I think the people in those communities, I think we're going on a bit of a tangent about mental health. But, yeah. You know. Well, it's important, isn't it, to have these conversations. Yeah, absolutely. You know, um, and another thing that doesn't really get talked about is sibling death. Oh, 100%. You know? And that's kind of, you know, why I wanted to talk about stuff, yeah. you know. Yeah, and I, that's why I wanted you to be on the podcast, because mm. I just think this is one area of grief that we, we just don't tend to tell people that yeah. my brother, my sister died. It's almost, it's it's interesting, isn't it? It's common for everyone in the family to walk around on eggshells. Everyone's trying to control their emotions so they don't upset each other. So it's often easier to talk to a counsellor or a therapist. Mm. Um, in fact, you did have counselling for a while, didn't you? How did you find it? Um, I think counselling is really, really important for anyone to go through, even if you don't think that you need it. Um and especially if you struggle with mental health issues yeah. and especially for grief because it's such a massive thing a massive trauma um i won't say it's easy <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't easy for me um it, it's not a fun procedure it's not a procedure it, that sounds surgical it's not a fun experience um for me i found it extremely beneficial extremely healing um because i think a lot of people don't realise about counselling is that it gives you that neutral place to say anything yeah. that you want. And even things that you don't really agree with, that you just kind of want to experiment like the thought with, like you just kind of want to be like, I feel a bit like this and yeah. this might not be the true way I feel, but if I say it out loud, 
then I can process whether or not it makes sense to me. And so it gives you that space just to sort of completely be whatever. Yeah. <laughs> and then you get challenged on it and you say, is that how you really want to think? Is that yeah. like, how true is that? And that can be like, for me, it was a lot to do with my self-image and sort of self-confidence and stuff. Like, you know, saying things like, thought limiting beliefs I had about myself essentially um and and guilt that I had um and being challenged on that and being like oh maybe yeah. maybe actually I don't think that way actually or maybe I don't want to feel that way actually yeah um so yeah I I really find it beneficial well, it's, um, it's so much better isn't it to easier to talk to a stranger than it is to your own family yeah especially absolutely. around when especially you know your, your family well <laughs> <laughs> i know but no we do have some great conversations yeah i think it's i think it's really important to talk to people that you love as well yeah. i just think therapy is it gives you that place to just absolutely say yeah. say whatever and not get judged for it because yeah. they don't it doesn't have any long like if i said to something some things to you that's in therapy you'd be like yeah are you all right like yeah. you need to go and see like a doctor <laughs> um, yeah don't tell me because i'll just have something else to worry about <laughs> so um did your friends know what to say or do after matthew died or Nobody did they feel awkward around you in the early days i don't know about awkward because me and my friends are all a bunch of awkward people anyway <laughs> that's true <laughs> <laughs> so awkwardness is kind of cut part of the course for us but no one knew what to say um going back to you know we were saying about sibling death like that was a big thing that i think people didn't know what to say because yeah. a lot of people have experienced death like i think all of us are going to experience death at some point in our lives you know like if if we live long enough like you know mm. we're going to lose people um but most people lose grandparents first um then parents and then siblings later down the line yeah um to lose your brother even before your grandparents die yeah you know it's extremely isolating because you know people will say like oh you know and like, no grief is the same um so like i can't compare losing matt to losing you know a grandparent or somebody else was really close to um but like some people will say like oh you know i, I know how you feel because i i lost my gran to cancer or i lost my friend account it's yeah. like it's not the same like you can't it's not, com not comparable in the same way that me saying you know i lost my brother isn't comparable to them losing a grandparent or whatever but we don't talk about death enough and sibling death is just like so rare <laughs> yeah um because you know like to be morbid you prepare yourselves for the deaths of the people like the people who are older than you in your life you know? yeah you know that eventually your parents are going to pass away um you know eventually your grandparents are going to pass away and your older family members like it's like you know you're they're older than you you're supposed to pass away before yeah, it's a natural you, order of it's, things you know, isn't it's, it it's yeah. kind of a morbid thing to say but it's like it's it's sort of yeah it's the natural order of things like you said so like and you know i you, like sort of passing thoughts you'd be like oh well when mom and dad finally go you know matt will be around to like help and yeah. keep their memories alive and we can talk about stuff and like roll our eyes at them a little bit because sometimes they're embarrassing things <laughs> what still <laughs> um and like you know i see family members like i you know I, we've got i've got lots of cousins as you know <laughs> um 
And, you know, I see them having banters with each other, with their siblings. And this was especially, like, the bigger... The, uh, it really hit me. I think it was the first Christmas after Matt died because we all went to Manchester. A bunch of us went to Manchester, a bunch of my cousins. And, you know, my, like, some of them... Uh, the brothers and sisters would like bicker and then one of my aunts would say something and then their the, their kids would like look at each other and like roll their eyes yeah <laughs> and it was like little things like that i really miss <laughs> yeah um like you know matt used to tease dad a lot <laughs> yeah um and I kind of, yeah, I just kind of miss the sort of like little glances we'd have where it would be like, this sounds like all we'd put the mickey out of you. <laughs> but all like things like, oh, you know, um, like, oh, what are you going to get dad for his birthday? What are you going to get mum for her birthday? Like, oh, well, this is what I was thinking. What about you? And yeah, like we'd have those little, you know, moments. And yeah, like, I don't know. It's just, it's sad, obviously. But now it's like, it just, I don't know, it just feels very isolating because I, now I'm just, it's like, am I an only child now? <laughs> and yeah. people people will ask me, like, oh, you know, it's casual conversation, do I have any brothers or sisters? Yeah. I'm like, um, yeah. how do I answer that without suddenly making this, like, really oversharing? Like, I used to. Yeah. But he's gone now. And then it's like, oh, what do people say? People have to go step around. It's like, oh, I'm really sorry. Like, wish I hadn't bloody asked you. <laughs> you <know? laughs> yeah. uh, and then you say it's yeah. cancer and that's a whole other thing. Because yeah. cancer's like, oh, my gosh, that's really awful. I really wish I hadn't asked now. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, it's like, I think people know what to say if it's your parents. Like, if someone says, like, oh, you know, I've lost my dad or whatever. Like, you know, I've got a friend whose like, dad passed away. Like, you know what to say. Like, oh, it's like, oh, you know, oh. Yeah. There's all the, like, I don't know, not, not know what to say, but like, it's, you know, it's expected in a, it's at some point in your life, your parents yeah. are going to pass away. Um, yeah, it's a different dynamic, isn't it's it? It's very different. Yeah, it's, yeah. Yeah. So apart from counselling, Piper, what other things helped you navigate your grief journey? For me, it was like writing and creating stuff. Yeah. So, like, I wrote that letter. I wrote a few things. I wrote a letter to Matt as well. I think it was also in that book, maybe. Yeah, yeah. Um, and just, like, letting myself, like, sit in it. <laughs> yeah. Um, kind of leaning into it a little bit. And this is, yeah. I think, this is kind of going back to therapy a little bit. Was was, you know, I really learned how to sit in that discomfort rather than, like, shy away from it um or not feel it like just yeah. sort of sit in that discomfort and i i think i i talk to myself a lot in my head you know yeah and i'll um yeah i guess like and yeah i guess time as well and and there's that really i don't know if you've seen it there's a really there's a really good little thing i found on the internet <laughs> where it talks about grief being like a a ball and when it first happens, it's this really big ball that's sort of like impounding your entire life. And everyone expects, like, assumes what you have to do with grief is to squash that ball and make it smaller so that you can, like, carry on with your life yeah. or whatever, which I think is a horrible thing to say because I'll get onto that in a second, I guess. But yeah, I don't think you should compress that ball. I think you should keep that ball where it is. And it's horrible and uncomfortable and it feels awful. But then rather than shrink the ball down and try and compress those thoughts and press those emotions away, you have to, like, let yourself grow around the ball. Absolutely. So, 
I can't, it's not, this isn't a video, so I can't explain it with my hands, but, you know, so, you know, you, you grow around that your life gets bigger and the, the ball stays the same size, but you get yeah. bigger and, and the ball's still there and it hurts and it, you know, it's, it's upsetting a lot of the time and there are still times where, like, I'll just, you know, it's out of the blue, I'll suddenly, without any contacts, just suddenly feel really, really sad. Yeah, yeah. And I think it's so important just to let yourself feel sad. Like, Absolutely. you know, if you, if you want to, you know, if you need to sort of take five minutes and have a bit of a cry, that should be fine to do. And I, I, I just go and do it. You know? <laughs> yeah. Well, that, and it's healthy to do that. It really is. Yeah. Don't, you know, stop yourself from doing that. Mm. And I love that um, model about the ball. Yeah. I've seen it in a picture mm. um, example where the ball is in a jar and yeah. the ball fills the jar up. I think we've seen the same thing. I'm just explaining yeah. it badly. <laughs> no, I've seen a few different um, varieties of the, 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 how it's been illustrated. And then you get a bigger jar and a bigger jar. So yeah. the ball stays the same, but you just grow around it. Yeah, exactly. And um, that's how I feel is a healthy way to process the grief. You're yeah. not squashing it. You're not pushing it down. You're not putting it in a little box. Yeah. You're allowing it to be there. Mm. You're allowing yourself to feel it, to process it, and you just grow around it. Yeah, exactly. So um, I'm currently halfway through a book by Catherine Mannix called With the End in Mind, and mm. it's all about death and dying, and I'm finding it weirdly comforting. Mm. But can you re recommend any books, films, podcasts, or support groups for other people? So I'm not actually in any support groups for grief um i did read a really good book called grief is the thing with feathers um that was gifted to me actually um yeah shortly after matt passed away and it's a, it's really it's a really beautiful it's quite dark <laughs> yeah um but a really beautiful book i'm not like very good at um religion and spirituality things <laughs> i'm very like i have a dark sense of humor and i like like reading dark stuff and and that helps my brain process things. Yeah. Um but yeah, the grief was the thing with feathers was very good and a very very dark but health, like healthy looking grief. Like it really it's like how I said in therapy sitting with those dark yeah. em bad emotions. It it sort of pushes you to do that and lets you sit with it. It's quite a well-known book. Oh, is I'll it? put I'll put that in the show notes so yeah. people can check it I hope out. I've described it well because it's been a while since I read it. Yeah, so. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I know you don't have a faith or a religion, but um, do you believe that there is something? Because we've had many philosophical chats mm. over the years about death, but maybe you'd like to share your thoughts about what you think about the afterlife. Yeah. So I have a really complicated relationship with faith as a concept like i'm not a religious person i have yeah. no problem with people who are religious um but for me it's never really like fit if that makes sense yeah um i do so i i'm i've always been a very skeptical person but i'm sort of a I'm, i've always described myself as a bad atheist <laughs> <laughs> because i i basically i i believe in science but i also have a very um like clear idea it's almost like i'm believing it for comfort like i it's like i'm allowing myself to believe these things because it makes me feel better yeah yeah <laughs> um and like people will probably listen to that and be like well that just you know <laughs> they're being a bit silly now because like obviously that those things exist and you're just 
pretending but no i <laughs> i i don't really care what like how how it like what actually is true in that sense because it helps me feel better yeah and that idea is that i don't believe in heaven or anything like that i don't believe in in an afterlife as like that specific thing i guess i just believe in like all of our souls are made of like little grains of sand and when you die you you go back into that little grain of sand mode. I'm okay. explaining this really badly. Okay. And all of the little grains of sand are mixed around in the world with all the other bits of grains of sand. Yeah. <laughs> um, and that is what happens when we die. <laughs> like I, I have this idea that our souls are just kind of absorbed into everything else. Yeah. And so Matt's soul and like um, Grandma's soul and you know, next door neighbor who lives down the street that I've never met soul. You yeah. know, they're all like mushed into this big sort of spiritual soup. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um and, you know, I'll be walking through my day and sometimes I'll I'll feel like I may be this is a really terrible analogy. This is like <laughs> this is terrible. Like soul soup. This sounds awful. But I'll feel like I'll be walking through the world and I'll I'll like brush past so I'm like of Matthew's soul soup. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> this makes sense to me. Uh, yeah. Um, and it's like, oh, I just I feel a little bit like, oh, I feel close to Matthew. That felt really nice. Yeah, yeah. Um, and especially when I'm doing things like playing music or yeah. drawing or something. That's usually when like I feel like he's around. There was a time, especially when I was making a video. I think it was the first anniversary after he passed away. I made a little video yeah. to put on Facebook um, to sort of celebrate him. And as I was editing it, I felt like he was telling me which photos to put on. Oh, wow. And I felt like, because there's a, a, it's one of my favourite photos of him. It's when he was maybe about eight or nine years old. And he's like hanging off, backwards off this like monkey bar or something. He's, I know, he's like upside meet, down, yeah. <laughs> got a great big massive grin on his face. And he was like, yeah, yeah, put that one in, put that one in in my head. <laughs> oh, how lovely. And so it felt like we made that video together. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah. So it's an interesting view that you've got, and mm. I totally get it. So do you believe our loved ones can give us signs? Yes and no. I think that I... It's one of those things where I'm like... I kind of choose to believe they can, but I don't believe they can. I don't know. This sounds very contradictory. But like I I will interpret things I see as signs. Yeah. And that gives me comfort. And so I will say, well, that was Matthew. And that's all that matters if you're getting comfort. Exactly. From it. Like I think that whatever we do to find comfort in grief is yeah. fine. And that's Absolutely. like it doesn't matter if that's religion, if that's spiritual soup apparently <laughs> or if that you know something like I there think are people... you've just started a new religion I have haven't I yeah. I need to write a book about spiritual soup it's yeah. got a good name as well spiritual it's a good soup. name but Give yeah me some and like ideas. even and there are people that I know who don't believe anything at all and they're fully like when you die you're it's like an off switch and yeah. consciousness stops and I kind like I kind of like get that like I you know I think there's a little part of my brain that does believe that but it doesn't make me feel good to think that yeah <laughs> Yeah. Um, and but that's fine if that's that's how they think things are going to be, and they they feel comfort from that, and that's, yeah. that's there's nothing wrong with any of these viewpoints. It's absolutely you know, so. It's whatever 
gives you comfort. Exactly. Because grief works. is such a horrible thing to experience. Like, I think that whatever we can do to get comfort from it, should, yeah. we should take comfort in it. <laughs> Absolutely. So for people who have just lost a loved one, or perhaps for others who maybe have been stuck in grief for years, what words of wisdom could you share to maybe help them loosen their grief in some way? I think... I think I would say just breathe it in. And does that make sense? I like that. Like, don't try and, like, in the throes of it, like in the very first few days, everything is just too much. Everything is just so overwhelming. And it's like, you can't do anything. And allow yourself to not do anything allow like give yourself that space if you if you have the capacity to to even think about that you know yeah like give yourself that space to just be in shock because it is it's a shock it's a shock you're it's a traumatic experience and breathe it in like just don't don't try and i keep saying that but like what i mean is like just let it be in you like just let yourself feel that because it is not going to go away. <laughs> yeah. It's it's a horrible thing to say, but like it's it's you know, I think grief is one of the worst experiences that you know, you can have. When I was younger, I was like the worst thing. Well, actually the worst I used to think the worst thing that could ever happen to me was my brother passing away and then that bloody happens. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and yeah. it was the worst thing that ever happened to me. Um but yeah, like Grief is the... I was going to say something else then, but I can't remember what it was going to be. But yeah, it's, it's the worst thing you can experience. And I think the reason why it is so horrible is because grief can't happen unless you love somebody in some capacity. You know, yeah. if... if I think I think maybe it was you who said it to me or, or somebody was talking to me about grief, about being... Grief is like love. Yeah. And unless you experience love, you can't understand it in the same way if you experience unless you experience grief you can't understand it and you can't escape it you can't um like you can try and push it down and, and try and make it smaller or you can try and you know throw it away and, and distract yourself and, and try and do something else but it is there and it is going to hit you in the face so regardless of whether it's happened yesterday or 10 years ago just yeah just let, allow let it, it to be there let it to hit you in the face yeah you can't <laughs> you know? it can't be avoided allow it to be there yeah and just know that it won't always feel like that yeah yeah so absolutely. yeah it's great in, advice. in some ways it can be beautiful you know like we were talking about you know seeing signs and things yeah yeah you know there if you allow yourself to sort of you know let it punch you in the face there are also times where it can almost embrace you and, and yeah. you know, you can, it can sort of be felt, I don't know, sometimes I felt like enveloped by this like really strong feeling of love because yeah. I feel close to Matt and it's like, oh, this is really nice yeah, and really beautiful. And I don't think, I don't, I mean, I don't know, but I feel like I wouldn't have had that experience if I hadn't fully sort of leaned into it. Absolutely. You know? So where are you in your grief journey now? Um... I don't really know. <laughs> okay. What's a grief journey? <laughs> I don't know how to answer that question. Um, I think, 
I don't think it's a journey that ever has an end. Um, and I've, I've, I know people who have died since Matt, who I was close to. I've like I've, a couple of friends of mine have passed away in the last sort of four or five years, and their deaths all kind of feel not the same, but like that it feels connected. They all feel like they're part of the whole scope of grief. And on the, I wasn't as close as they I, I was to them as I was to Matt. But, like, whenever I know somebody who dies, it almost feels like they're in the spiritual soup that I keep apparently yeah. coming back to. Yeah. So it all feels connected. And so I feel like, yeah, I don't feel like grief has a journey necessarily to me that's ending. I feel like it's just a constant experience and I've just got better at handling that experience. Yeah, yeah. I feel like I'm just better equipped at talking about it. Yeah. And when I, like when I, it used to be that when I felt it, it was like it felt like it was never going to go away. And when I felt really bad, like the really bad waves of, of grief, it just sort of felt trapped. And I felt like this isn't gonna, ever going to get better. I'm never going to get better from this. It's going to be panic attacks and crying and meltdowns yeah. every five minutes. And now it's like when I do feel that, it's like, oh, okay, I'm going to step away for a minute. Yeah. Let myself feel it. It's going to be horrible for five minutes, half an hour, however long. And then I'm going to pick myself up and I'm going to say, oh, okay. That was that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and then carry on. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't know if it ever really goes away. It's not really, yeah, it doesn't have an ending to me. It's just... No, you're very, it's very true. You know, some losses last a lifetime yeah absolutely yeah absolutely so i know you've had a beautiful tattoo done to remember matthew mm -hmm. but what other things do you do to keep his memory alive um do you have any rituals or anything to remember him by yeah i mean i think about him pretty much all the time <laughs> um and every year on his birthday and on the anniversary of his death i have a little candle and we'll spend maybe like 20 minutes we'll get the candle out turn off the lights in the house make sure the cats aren't gonna set fire on <laughs> <laughs> the cats and then just sit and me and my partner will just sort of hold the candle together and i'll just think about matt and i'll sort yeah. of you know say hi you know <laughs> how are you doing yeah. <laughs> you know um and have that moment of i guess i guess in some ways you could call it a prayer um yeah in a way like a sort of I hope you're doing well and yeah. wherever you are. <laughs> yeah, um, I think that's beautiful. And, and we always talk about him, don't yeah, we? Yeah, we talk about the time. <laughs> <laughs> um, which is, is you know, because he's still part of our lives, isn't he? Exactly, yeah, 100%. So if you could give Matthew a message now, what would you say? <sighs> that's a hard question. <laughs> um, I love him. I think that's the biggest thing. Yes. Hey Matt, I love you. <laughs> um, You're gonna get me going now. <laughs> Just saying. <laughs> I think there are parts of me that doesn't feel like anything needs to be said because in my version of event, not in events, but in my version of spirituality, it's almost like when somebody dies, they know everything in the universe. They know who you are exactly, and they know. And that's kind of something, sorry, this is kind of a tangent from the question, but this this is something that I've been thinking a lot about 
like, because obviously going back to admit the fact that I changed my name and the person I've become after Matt's died, I feel much more confident in myself. I'm happier. I've got a job that I really love. And these are all things I just didn't have before Matt passed away. Mm. And there's part of me that feels really sad that he doesn't get to see that. He doesn't get to see me being happy. Because <laughs> yeah. um, I know that he worried about me a lot with that sort of thing. But I feel like he just knows. Yeah. He just knows that I'm okay. Yeah. Um, so there's a part of me that feels like he, I don't need to say anything because he knows. But at the same time, it's nice to say. Yeah. <laughs> and so I think, you know, saying that I love him, that I miss him a lot, um, and that I just hope that whatever realm of existence he is in now, he can still look back at this occasionally and like wave and be like, hey guys. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, chuck a like football at someone now and then. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Ah, oh, I think that's beautiful. And I think that's a beautiful way to end our podcast on today. So mm. thank you. Thank you. Now, the death of a sibling can be very difficult to process. Our siblings often share our family history and formative years, and their death can make us feel unsure about our place in the world. We're supposed to grow old with them and share a special bond. But when a brother or sister dies, it's common for people to focus their support on the parents, the partner or the children of the person who died. Siblings, whether adults or children, can sometimes be left out and made to feel like their grief doesn't matter. And this feeling is called disenfranchised grief. While we live in a culture that encourages us to move on, Grieving the death of a sibling can take a lifetime. It's a very special loss. Piper will never be an auntie and she has lost the only other person who knew and understood our family dynamic. Matthew would be very proud of his sister for sharing her story. Not only is it keeping his memory alive, it will help others who have gone through a similar journey. So thank you for being on my podcast, Piper. Thank I you, just Dad. love you so much. Aww, Thank you. I guess I love you too. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for listening to this episode of A Gift for Grief. Please feel free to share it with your friends and family and let's encourage others to become more grief literate. If you're struggling with your grief or worried about your mental health, please do speak to your doctor. If you would like to join me on my social media groups, check out the show notes for all the links. And I look forward to connecting with you next time. The music on this podcast was written and recorded by Matthew Bates and can be found on his two albums, Fight Back and Kaleidoscope.